This is a guy, you talk about taking the top off of defense. Do it once in a while, right? You're pretty good. He did it six of the last seven games. He's got it. Touchdown tied. Here comes Hutchinson. He explodes through the quarterback, and he might knock a few loose in the NFL as a rookie. This kid is right up there with the most tough and most gritty competitors at that position. Well, this is new and exciting. Welcome into the First Draft Podcast, which that part of it, not new. The surroundings, they are new. Thanks to everybody who is joining us live right now on YouTube or Twitter or any of the other social media outlets that we know Mel Kuyper Jr., the man standing or sitting right behind me, spends most of his day on when he is not grinding the tape, getting ready for the 2022 NFL Draft as Welcome into sort of the official kickoff of the 2022 season of the First Draft Podcast. I am Field Yates. The man you see right behind me is really the man who needs no introduction when it comes to draft talk. He is Mel Kuyper Jr. He has been doing this since 1984. The man has been associated with the NFL Draft since he was literally in high school. Mel, so good to be back with you. How are you doing, my friend? We are so ready for the 2020 NFL pre-draft process to begin. 1.0, 1.0, getting ready to go and be up on, uh, on Wednesday, doing a lot of TV Wednesday. But in terms of, of the mock draft, we'll kind of not tease it. We'll give you some ideas about what I'm thinking. Haven't finalized it yet. So there's a lot of debate going on in my mind as to who I want to put to some of these teams. And obviously the quarterbacks being front and center. They always get forced upfield, as you know. We're not to the Senior Bowl week yet and Senior Bowl game, which is very important for quarterbacks. Uh, but for right now, I'll give you a little bit of an idea as to what you're going to see in that Mach 1.0. I cannot wait for the Mach 1.0, which drops on Wednesday. So we got a couple of days for you to mm-hmm. finalize your decisions. Mel, a couple of housekeeping notes for those that are either new or catching us right now on the live stream. We're going to be live streaming every Monday, 2 p.m. Eastern time, on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, you name it. You find a platform, will probably be available to watch. Of course, we still have our audio podcast, which is the heart and soul of this show. It has been for the many years this show has been around, several of which included me not being the host, the great Chris Sprout handling that baton for many, many years. We're going to do it every Monday, though, Mel. And then on Thursday, because we want to give you even more pre-draft content, every Thursday, an additional version of the First Draft podcast will be available. You, me, and Todd McShay, we think, we'll have to talk about where Todd is at some point here during the show. We'll be doing a mini version to open the show. And then on Thursday, we'll have great guests, the likes of which include Jordan Reed, our newest draft analyst here at ESPN. Mm-hmm. We hope Adam Schefter, Mina Kimes, Mike Golding Jr. You name your favorite NFL analyst here at ESPN. We hope to have them here as a part of the First Draft Podcast. But isn't this just classic McShay? T- I mean, Mel, it's the first day back. This is the first day of school, and McShay is already missing out. What is going on here? He's on the beach somewhere. He claims he's going to be listening. So uh, that last couple of vacation days in, Todd, 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 and we'll see you next week, pal. Yeah, there's. Yeah, I'm sure he'll be listening to the pod. He'll probably, if he is on the beach, he probably has his phone open right now saying, you know, this beach is great. And, you know, the white sand and the clear water is great, but nothing is greater than watching Field and Mel talk shop. So, Mel, we're going to get right into it because you mentioned already that your mock draft 1.0 comes out on Wednesday. As of right this mm-hmm. second, we have 23 of the 24 picks already solidified. The only pick that we do mm-hmm. not yet know is whether it will be the Cardinals or the Los Angeles Rams, who are picking towards the end of the wild card team round picks. Uh, but we know 23 of the 24 so far. 
Uh, but you don't know many more than just a couple of players that are locked. So let's start at the top here. We know it's the Jacksonville Jaguars for the second straight season. We did a little bit of an exercise like this on last week's show, the audio version only. But if you were the Jacksonville Jaguars, knowing what you know right now, before free agency, before they've made a head coaching mm-hmm. hire, and all the variables that will be determined at some point, who do you have your eyes on for them with the first overall pick in the draft? I think Aiden Hutchinson, the defensive end from Michigan. I think the body of work, the production, uh, the that Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa mentality in the Big Ten. The Bosa's played at Ohio State, obviously. Aiden at Michigan. He's what the Wolverines and Jim Harbaugh were able to do this year. That's all about the intensity, the consistency, being disruptive against the pass, getting after the quarterback in the run game as well, being a great leader, setting a great tone for that defense. That guy that's kind of the, the tone setter for what that defense was able to accomplish. David Ojabo on the other side really came into his own. We'll be talking about him in this Mach 1.0 in that maybe 10 to 15 range. But if we look at Aiden Hutchinson, he gives you that, hey, I'm coming to work. I'm that guy that's going to show up every day, every game, and give you a similar performance level. People will talk about the Georgia game. Stetson Bennett got the ball out quick. They knew what they had to do in that game. They couldn't let Ojabo and Hutchinson wreck that game, and they were able to game plan to make sure they didn't. Okay, Just like Bill Belichick game plan to make sure Miles Garrett didn't wreck that Browns-Patriot game. So I think when you look at, at Aiden Hutchinson, I give him the slight edge there over Kayvon Thibodeau, defensive end from Oregon, who I would put in that second spot overall uh, right now to the Detroit Lions. So the number one pick defensive end Hutchinson, number two pick, Defensive end, Kayvon Thibodeau. You know, Mel, one thing we always do during the pre-draft process is talk comparables. We've had some great pass rushers come out in the past five years. You know, Miles Garrett you just mentioned, Chase Young just a couple of seasons ago, two Bosa brothers, Joey and then Nick. Mm -hmm. Are we talking the same tier of prospect for Aiden Hutchinson, or how would you classify him relative to those guys that I just mentioned? Very similar. The hand usage, the bend, and the, and the consistency from play to play, game to game with Hutchinson, as was with the Bosa brothers. And then you think about Kayvon Thibodeau. Does he bend it like Miles Garrett? No. It was like that, you know, talk about a guy coming off the edge. It was like the roller derby coming around the corner with, with Miles Garrett. Nobody bends the edge like Miles Garrett did and does. Uh, so when he doesn't have that secondary move, that the complementary moves he's developing, that's evolving with Kayvon Thibodeau. So I think he's still a kind of a work in progress. Coaching going to be very important once he gets to the NFL. That D-line coach working with him to make sure that a wide array of talent can be really amplified in the NFL. When you're going up against the best offensive tackles in the world, okay? So I think with with Hutchinson and Thibodeau, very close. Like I said, I'm given right now. We're still early in the draft process. I don't want to write this in pen yet, Field. But for an early part of the draft process in Mach 1.0, Hutchinson 1, Thibodeau 2. And then it gets really interesting at 3, 4, 5. we got teams with multiple picks. The Giants, the Jets, the Eagles have three picks. But the Giants and Jets, this is going to be a key whether these two football teams will catapult into playoff contention. This draft is going to be vital to that. The Jets feel they have their quarterback in Zach Wilson. Daniel Jones is there with the Giants. Got a new head coach, new GM taking over. We'll see how all that goes. But uh, this particular draft, when you have two picks in the top 10, uh, you got to make them count. You got to get two Pro Bowl caliber performers. You know, Mel, it's really interesting that you talk about those two teams in New York that both have two top 10 picks because with the Jets, we can perhaps forecast them a little bit more certainly for a few reasons. Same head coach, same GM as last year. They already have a quarterback that is like, Mm -hmm. we're nowhere close to having to make a decision on Zach Wilson. Daniel Jones, that time may come a year from right now, 
perhaps even this offseason. But with the Jets, time is on their side. The Giants, a little bit of a different dynamic. I want to ask you about the Lions, though, at two quickly. And then the Texans, who are kind of where the mystery begins. Mm -hmm. We know what the Lions mm -hmm. want to do stylistically on defense. Aaron Glenn is their current defensive coordinator. I suspect that even if Glenn gets a head coaching job and he has interviewed with the Broncos already, Detroit will want to kind of keep things as they have been, at least this year. They're laying a foundation. How would you assess Thibodeau's fit with their scheme? Or is he one of those players that it doesn't matter what the scheme is? He's that good. He should fit in anywhere. Yeah, pass rushers like Thibodeau. When you get an opportunity to get a Hutchinson Thibodeau, you take it. That's what it's all about now is getting after the quarterback and also covering on the back end. So that cornerback, those safeties as well that can cover critical as well. Uh, I think when you look at Kayvon Thibodeau with the Detroit Lions, now we don't know how much longer Aaron Rodgers is going to be in this division. He's going to be there, obviously, you know, finishing out this season. Next year, we'll see. They're in the playoffs. They hope to get to a Super Bowl. That was my pick back in August to win the Super Bowl. We'll see if Aaron can get the Super Bowl number two and win it like he did when he got there earlier. But I think you look at the pass rushers like Thibodeau, like I said, getting the drawing comparisons to Garrett. I think that's a stretch right now. He's not going to end up with as high a grade as Miles Garrett had. Uh, Jadavion Clowney went number one overall, uh, but Thibodeau will be right behind Hutchinson. And certainly for the Lions, he's what they need. Uh, he's what everybody has to have. So when you get that opportunity, you take it. And keep in mind, they pick in the late first round as well and a pick from the Rams. Could they look at a quarterback at that point? Are you sold on Jared Goff being the guy moving forward? If you want to bring in a young quarterback, the opportunity, I think, feel will present itself late in round one on that second first-round pick to get maybe Sam Howell, quarterback from North Carolina, to get maybe a Matt Corral, quarterback Ole Miss. I think somebody at that point, and Howell, I think, could be the guy. If he's there, of course, he lost his two top running backs going into this year, lost his two top receivers, yet he was out there battling. And uh, this is a kid that I thought, uh, you know, I think deserves to be in the first-round discussion. Certainly not in the top ten but when you get into that 20 to 32 range and where the Lions are picking, that would be a choice that I think would have to be uh, looked at that as maybe the quarterback to get the guy who can elevate that position and give you a guy that maybe could be a future uh, starting quarterback and a very successful starting quarterback in one Sam Howell. I think it's a little bit too early to say that we know for certain what's going to happen with those first two picks. But right now it feels like it is clearly the two pass rushers and then the rest of the draft. Which brings us to a really interesting team at pick three, Mel, and that's the Houston Texans, who it's not a great year to be looking for a surefire quarterback prospect, but they may already have a guy in Davis Mills who you could try and develop for one more year because I thought he showed quite a bit of promise down the stretch. If you were to assess what are the top needs for the Texans right now, that third overall pick, what comes to mind first? Secondary, whether it's a safety like Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame, whether it's a cornerback like Derek Stingley Jr. from LSU or Ahmad Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati or an offensive lineman. You got two of them now. It's not just one. It's Evan Neal from Alabama, who was a left tackle, right tackle guard. And that's also Ikem Ekwanu from NC State. Left tackle, can be right tackle guard. It gives you a lot of versatility as well. Wrestling background, heck of a football player for the Wolfpack. So you got two elite offensive tackles, left tackles, and Neal and Ekwanu, and you had the great safety, the rangy safety all over the field, great player in Hamilton, and then you had the corner in Stingley and the corner in Gardner. Stingley had done a lot the last couple of years. He's going to be drafted on talent. Gardner was a lockdown corner with great length as a debate who's going to be, end up being the top cornerback coming off the board. So they could go secondary and really work in 
one of the players I mentioned, to basically be in line field. And that's the thing. If you're picking third, you don't want to get the seventh best player, sixth mm. best player. You want to get a guy who, hey, if he may not be one, two, but he's going to be right in that third spot. And that's going to be a guy that deserves to be like Hamilton does, Neil, Equanu. Certainly the corner may be a little bit of a stretch. So I think we'll get down to Hamilton or one of those offensive tackles for the Houston Texans at pick number three. And I think it's worth noting, Laramie Tunsil. Missed a lot of time this year with that finger injury. Just sort of strikes me as maybe not a guy that's a guarantee to be there going forward. I mean, look at how many players Mm -hmm. have already been there, how much roster turnover there has already been under GM Nick Casario. Tunsil, obviously part of the previous regime's player acquisition pool. So maybe left tackle is a bigger need for Houston, not just down the line, but also as soon as next year than some might think if Laramie Tunsil is healthy and on the field again. We're going to come back and talk about some players that sort of saw their stock rise, specifically during the bowl game process. But before we do that, a quick word from one of our friends, CSX, who helps make the First Draft podcast go. This First Draft is brought to you by CSX, a growing Fortune 500 logistics company that has immediate openings for freight train conductors. If you're looking for rewarding career offering paid training at nearly $25 per hour, competitive benefits, and you share a passion for great service, apply today at csx.com careers. That's csx.com careers. CSX, committed to supporting military and veteran families and their communities. CSX is an equal opportunity employer. All right, so we're back here, and Mel, the college football season is now over. It's all done with. The college football bowl games are probably my favorite part of the season because even with players opting out and games being moved around, and unfortunately this year some of them being canceled, I enjoy seeing the best against the best. Who are some players that you think of as players whose stock rose during the bowl games or even the college football playoff when we had the four best teams squaring off? Yeah, a lot of them didn't play. Now, you get to a playoff environment, and you saw the Georgia Bulldogs, and, of course, Alabama, unfortunately, Jamison Williams injured in that game with the mm. ACL. He was well on his way to being a top-10 pick, a guaranteed top-10 pick. He was sixth overall on my big board, and I think Todd, when we talked last week, said, hey, he was number six on his big board as well. Now, it's going to be interesting with Jamison uh, Field. Where do you put him? Okay, do you put him in the second round or do you put him in the first round? The New England Patriots, you know the Bill Belichick, Nick Saban connection, right? Mm. It was pretty obvious against the Buffalo Bills. They need weapons in the passing game for Mac Jones. You got Jamison Williams. If he drops all the way down to where New England's picking, you know, I'm at the 21st pick now in round one. Okay, you got a guy who would have gone in the top 10, maybe the top 5, 6, 7. He's there at 21. Can you wait it out for Jamison Williams to get back to 100%? I think you have to think about that at that point. So I really think Jamison Williams in play, and he was certainly, I think if he plays and finishes that game against the, the Georgia Bulldogs, Alabama may win that national title. Now you go to a kid, I'll go to Utah, the Utes, Devin Lloyd. All this kid does is make plays in every way on defense. He's intercepting passes. He's batting down passes. He's breaking up passes. He's getting after the quarterback and getting sacks. Okay, He's intercepting passes, returning them for touchdowns. He, he's everywhere. But you also have N'Kobe Dean from Georgia who's all over the field. He's the defensive signal caller. He's kind of the guy who's an extension of your defensive coordinator. N'Kobe Dean could go, I'm looking at maybe nine to Denver. I'm looking at Devin Lloyd maybe in the middle of the first round. So both those linebackers, 
linebackers, kind of in that Devin White, Devin Bush, when they both came out, they both ran 4-4-3. We'll see what these guys run. If, if they test well on top of all the production and the versatility of N'Kobe Dean and Devin Lloyd, those two linebackers are going to be flying up uh, that, those draft boards. So those are some guys right there. And a lot of, like I say, a lot of these guys, unfortunately, feel didn't play in the bowl games. But when you got to the postseason, and I'll go back to Hutchinson. Hutchinson Ojabo, okay, they were quiet, you could say, in that game because they were schemed out by Georgia. But you look at Ojabo, had one great year. Now, limited football background, but incredibly talented. I don't like to see him go back to Michigan, but he's coming out. David Ojabo, I think, could be in play for the Jets or the Giants. They both have, as we said, two picks in the top 10. Pass rushers, hey, you got to have them. You need them. They're the key element to any defense. David Ojabo, if Hutchinson goes one, Ojabo's not going to have to wait much longer field to hear his name called. A few other guys, Mel, who either saw their stock rise during the season or could perhaps see their stock rise during Mm -hmm. this pre-draft process, and sometimes it's because the guy is a great athlete and shows well at the combine, is a great interview, Mm -hmm. and does a great job when he has an opportunity to meet with teams, or any number of reasons. But I want to ask you about a few guys in particular. Ike Mekwanu, who is the left tackle from North North Carolina State. He is, this is just his third year in college. This guy is, is, is a young prospect. And yet he's a freak athlete with some nasty at that left tackle spot as we begin that conversation about the best left tackle in this draft. I know that Evan Neal's the name everybody's talking about, but you mentioned him earlier. Like, are we putting Aquanu in that same conversation? Is he a top five potential pick? Definitely, yes. You have to put him in that conversation. He is a mauler, and he's got really good feet and balance and pass protection. He's got that wrestling background, comes from a very athletic family. This is a kid who wants to be great, studies, works hard, really passionate about the game of football. Ikwanu has to be. His brother's at Notre Dame on the defensive side of the ball. It's a very athletic family he comes from. This kid is, has a professional mentality, and you love that with your offensive line. they got to be consistent, play in and play out. they got to be focused play in and play out. You can't have any hiccups. you got, you got to be ready to go. Uh, so I think when you look at Aquanu, certainly the Giants, the, the offensive line critical to Daniel Jones, the Giants picking at five overall. And then, of course, they pick again at seven uh, right after that. The Giants would have to be in play for Aquanu. Evan Neal, we said, could be in play for Houston, but also Aquanu could be as well. I've talked to a lot of teams field as you have. I would say it's split. But Iguanu gets some, 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 uh, some uh, I'd say votes, if you want to say, and some credit for being a great player and being right there, maybe slightly ahead of Evan Neal. So we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. It's very early right now in the process, but it's kind of neck and neck. It's kind of one and one A right now with Aquanu and Neal, as it is as well with Hutchinson and Thibodeau to an extent, with Derek Stingley Jr., cornerback LSU, with Ahmad Sauce Gardner, cornerback Cincinnati. These are going to be great battles, positional battles, to see who ends up coming off the board at that position first. But I think when you look at the Jets as well, I talked about David Ojabo from Michigan. The Jets need a pass rusher. Where the Jets are picking, what do they do? The Giants need a pass rusher as well. What if the Giants end it up with Equanu and Ojabo, okay? Then you get the great offensive lineman and you get the pass rusher. The Jets could use a wide receiver like Drake London, a big target for Zach Wilson to throw to. Well, they love Elijah Moore. Braxton Berrios is there, but hey, you need a guy like Drake London. Drake London was injured in late October. He's going to be fine. Drake London is a freakish talent. He's got that Mike Evans, Plaxico Burris frame. Drake London from USC field is going to go very high in round one, somewhere in the top 10. And you got multiple teams that could be looking at this kid. You watch him at USC. He is a nightmare 
to try to handle. You think you have him covered, you don't. He becomes a power forward. He's got great hands. I only saw one drop on tape. You think about where he could go? Uh, I think the New York Jets at pick number 10 would be a great opportunity for him to really, like I say, help out of Zach Wilson. Uh, he's only there if you say, well, he did have that injury. He did have the fractured ankle October 30th against Arizona. But you look at the production, you look at the numbers that he put up at USC, you look at the height, the length, the ball skills, the competitiveness. Uh, Drake London right now, because of Jamison Williams' injury, now is clear-cut the number one wide receiver uh, in this draft. There's no question it's Drake London. It was going to be a battle between Jamison Williams and Drake London. Now with Jamison Williams' unfortunate knee injury, it becomes all the talk. The whole storyline about who the best receiver is is now isolated to one guy, and that's Drake London. Mel, I, just a ridiculous thought and note here. You mentioned his production. You mentioned the fact that that ankle injury took place in late October. It was just before, even on mm-hmm. Halloween. He was still named the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year. He played in eight games. Think about that. Like, that is not some tiny conference. It's the Pac-12, where there is certainly plenty of offense in that conference. Pretty amazing to see that kind of accolade assigned to a player who was limited to just eight games, but he is the real deal. That ankle injury should not be a concern during the pre-draft process. The Indianapolis Combine, about a month from right now, doctors will be able to get their hands on these players and get a full medical evaluation One more player that you mentioned the name of a couple of times, and I loved watching him. I think he's got a great nickname as well. Sauce Gardner, the cornerback from Cincinnati, who fears no wide receiver. What kind of prospect are we talking about from Sauce or for Sauce Gardner? And what are, I mean, how high is too high for Sauce? Like, is there a top 10 match for him in that first 10 picks based off of who was available or where he should be available and who has picks in that range? Yeah, there really is. There's a great opportunity for him. You know, we have to see how they all test out. Uh, that's really the difference maker. If you get a couple players equal in grade, obviously who tests better will get the edge. That will be the, the difference maker. But you look at the versatility of Sauce Gardner uh, in terms of the length. And then Babel, you talk about Drake London with his great length. You need guys to cover these big receivers. I mentioned Mike Evans, okay? There's got to be a guy with his kind of height, his kind of length. You see the long arms. That's a key to any position except quarterback and running back. Arm length is pivotal in the evaluation process. The ability to basically anticipate and make plays. They didn't test him that much because, they, obviously, Kobe Bryant got a lot of attention on the other side with Cincinnati. But when they did, they came up far short of getting what they wanted, which was results in the past game. Gardner was a lockdown corner. You look at teams like Atlanta at eight, if they don't go with the quarterback and they went corner, certainly could look at either Stingley or Gardner. Minnesota Vikings at 12 certainly could look at a corner as well. I think both these corners probably off the board by pick number 12. And I'll tell you what, I said it earlier, talk to NFL people. It's not just Stingley. Gardner's right there. And Gardner played. Stingley since 2019, the national championship year with Joe Burrow and Chase and all those great players at LSU that are in the NFL right now starring. Okay, 2020, obviously didn't go the way you would want. 2021, same thing. So you think about Derek Stingley Jr. with some of those injuries and not playing, not performing when he was out there to the level he did in 2019. you got to go back to 2019, trust what you saw, what he had with 15 pass breakups and six interceptions, and look like as good a corner as you'll ever find. Forget about the last couple years and just basically take a leap of faith on Derek Stingley Jr.'s talent. 
and you take him ahead of Sauce Gardner. If you're a little afraid of that and scared off a little bit by the two years that didn't go the way of Derek Stingley Jr. and LSU, then you go to Ahmad Sauce Gardner from Cincinnati with that great length and the ability to go out and be that lockdown guy and be able to match up against those tall, long receivers with those great ball skills and that power forward mentality. Then you look at Gardner. Bottom line is both those kids, Stingley Jr. and Gardner, are going to go within the early to mid portion of round one. I saw the Chiefs put up 42 points. I saw the Bills put up 47 points. I saw the Bucks put up 31 points in basically three quarters. You need cornerbacks in today's NFL with all of these high-flying passing attacks. And you also need a quarterback to pull the levers of your offense, Mel. But this year is not going to be a draft that is defined by the quarterbacks, especially when you juxtapose it to last season when we had five go in the top 15. And the fifth of those, Mac Jones, had the best rookie season. So all those guys have bright futures in the NFL. But if you were to to sort of guess, as of right now, this is a January 17th guess, so three-plus months till the draft actually begins, how many first-round quarterbacks do you believe we'll have this year? I'd say a maximum of four. Okay. Okay. Minimum of three. How's that? Uh, So I'm going to probably go four in this Mach 1.0. I think when you look at how high they always get forced up. Remember, Senior Bowl week and Senior Bowl games really important field. We've seen that in the past. That's defined where a lot of these players go. Jim Nagy does a great job bringing those guys down there. Then you have pro days, combine after that. That's a great jump start to where you could end up on April 28th. In most cases, quarterbacks between now and then will ascend, and they will get forced up. Their grade might be at 15, 20, 25, 30, but they're going to go top 10 to 15 because, as you said, it's the most important position in all sports. Take any sport out there. The quarterback in football is the most important position in any sport, in all sports. So you got to have that guy. You're going to reach a little bit. Talent usually will win out, okay? What do you do here? You got Kenny Pickett, who had 50 career starts, right? He's a veteran. He's a 24-year-old rookie he's going to be. He's a guy coming with Mark Whipple, did a great job quarterback coach coordinator. Mark's now at Nebraska, but when he was at Pitt, did a great job working with Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett is, and I hate this term, and I'm not going to use it, so I, 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 I shouldn't even say it. Talk about NFL ready. The worst term any analyst can use is NFL ready. And they'll say that about Kenny Pickett. I'm just going to say he's Derek Carr, Andy Dalton. He's somewhere in that Andy Dalton, Derek Carr mode. That's what you're looking at with Kenny Pickett, okay? The guy that has the incredible upside, if you say Pickett doesn't, okay? And the one thing about Pickett's going to be important, hand size. I talked about length. Field. For every position except quarterback and running back, arm length is vital. Whether it's tackling, whether it's catching footballs, back uh, breaking up passes, keeping defensive ends away from your body, keeping offensive linemen away from Bottom line is arm length is critical. Okay, You think about hand size for quarterbacks. It hasn't always mattered. Some of the guys with the biggest hands have busted out. Some of the guys that don't have the big hands have been great. Okay, Nine's kind of the number. Is it eight and a half, eight and three quarters, nine? We'll see. Uh, I'm not going to factor that in that heavily, but that will be where's the gloves on both hands. Okay, All those things will be scrutinized and talked about. Just going to give you a heads up to that. You will be hearing a lot about hand size and the wearing of the gloves like we did with Teddy Bridgewater. Kenny Pickett is going to be in the top 15 of this draft. Okay, I think that's, I wouldn't say it's guaranteed, but he's going to go somewhere in that top 15, top 20. Okay, top 20 because you have New Orleans picking at 18. I think that's as far as he may drop. But you have Malik Willis. 
from Liberty, formerly of Auburn. Malik Willis in 2020 was outstanding. This year, he fell back a bit. You go back to Middle Tennessee State, he threw three picks. He threw three picks against Louisiana Monroe. Didn't play great against Ole Miss. They were outmanned against Ole Miss, uh, so you don't hold that against them. Malik Willis has great talent. And Malik Willis's talent could win out and make him maybe the first quarterback taken. How high field? You have Atlanta at eight, right? You have Washington at 11, okay? One of those two teams could certainly or both could look at quarterback. So you could have Willis and Pickett going that high. You could have Minnesota 12 look quarterback. I mentioned New Orleans at 18. You have Pittsburgh, okay? Pittsburgh could be certainly definitely looking at quarterback. They're at 20. Detroit in the late first round. I mentioned Sam Howell's name from North Carolina. If you're looking at quarterbacks, that's as far as I would drop it right now. And I would say Desmond Ritter, I think right now, would probably be in the second-round mix. I would have had Ritter in the first-round field had it not been really for the Alabama game. Yeah. You know, there were opportunities in that game. He had passes batted down. He airmailed one to Pierce, who was open on the slant for a touchdown. Uh, if he'd have played a little better and didn't look overwhelmed in that game, I think we would have been looking at Desmond Ritter maybe in round one. But instead, we're looking at him in round two. This is going to be, and it's sort of a question in vain because last year is last year and this year is this year. And it doesn't really matter. But just so people get sort of a perspective on how these guys stack up. Uh, I believe Mac Jones was fifth on your quarterback rankings last year. Mm-hmm. I could, so, he was but, fourth. I, it, fourth. Fourth. Okay, excuse me. And fifth was, who'd you have fifth last year? Trey Lance. Okay, so you had Trey Lance fifth. Trey Lance. Um, where would Trey Lance rank in this year's draft class? Or maybe put it differently. If Kenny Pickett is your number one guy this year, where would he rank last year? Would he, would he have been behind Trey Lance, ahead of Trey Lance, ahead of Mac Jones? Where would he stack up? They would have all been behind. And yeah. it, would have, it would have been a gap there. Trey Lance uh, was kind of the wild card. Remember, he was a one A quarterback, only played the one game. That was against Central Arkansas. Okay, work, had a need to work on his accuracy and tweak that like Josh Allen did coming out of Wyoming. Uh, but tremendous talent. And that running skills. He beat teams with his legs as much or more than he did with his arm at North Dakota State. A great mind for the game, great work ethic, great passion as well. So Trey Lance certainly uh, was deserving of going where he did. Okay, uh, Mac Jones dropped the 15. Okay, he was my fourth highest rated quarterback. My third highest rated quarterback was Zach Wilson. Second was Justin Fields. First was Trevor Lawrence. So that's the way I ranked them last year. But to answer your question, Field, Pickett, Willis, you know, they would have been behind those five. And like I said, they're still going to get forced up. Uh, you know, you're going to have quarterbacks go inside of 15 this year. I believe Pickett and Willis certainly could. Okay, we'll see about Matt Corral. Matt Corral maybe in that 20 to 32 range, something second round. I think maybe he sneaks into the first. Sam Howell, North Carolina, I think he can sneak into the late first. But I think the two definitive top 20, top 15 picks right now, maybe even top 10 if Atlanta looks at a quarterback, would be Malik Willis from Liberty and Kenny Pickett from Pitt. Right now I have Pickett number one on my quarterback board, Willis number two. You mentioned Matt Corral just a moment ago. He is the Ole Miss quarterback who did get hurt during his bowl game, and obviously we're going to monitor what kind of recovery is required for Matt Corral uh, and whether that will impact him at all during the pre-draft process. But might he be the kind of quarterback? Because I do believe that quarterbacks can elevate their draft stock as much as any other position during the pre-draft process because they're the ones that have to impress on the whiteboard and during the interview process and things that are sort of more under the intangibles label than the on-field label. Could he be a quarterback that sort of drifts up that board maybe to the 20-ish range in terms of first-round picks? 
Possibly. I think in terms of, of Matt Corral, what you saw at Ole Miss, running that RPO offense, being able to throw the football at any point on the field. Uh, when he was at 100%, he played through injury. He's tough. He's gritty. Uh, certainly gives you that running dimension. Uh, boy, you, as a defense, yeah, you're in that man coverage. He can run for 15, 20, 25 yards and really beat you with his legs as well as his arm. Uh, some things he needs to work on. Coming out of that offense, obviously, you think about making sure that your direction of your throws changes uh, from play to play and opportunity to opportunity in the passing game. Uh, certainly the frame, people are going to be looking at him. Can he hold up physically in the NFL, withstand that pounding you have to take uh, as an NFL quarterback? You're going to run. Josh Allen is 6'5", 240, okay? Matt Corral's not that kind of, doesn't have that kind of frame. He doesn't have that kind of physicality at quarterback. You know, so you want to be a running quarterback. Can you hold up if you're going to play with that style and need to be a runner to augment what you do and complement what you do as a passing quarterback? So uh, not having that ideal size and that ideal frame, uh, I think, could push Matt Corral down just a bit. Uh, maybe to get into the 20s, down maybe where the Lions are picking in the late first. Uh, I think he could be an opportunity for the Steelers, teams like that, the Saints. I think he gets into that mid to late first round area field. You know, I, I, I know that every year we see this, but I'm reminded of it more than ever this year is that when we're talking about quarterbacks and projections, Mel, the importance of fit cannot be overstated, right? I mean, this past year, we t Mac Jones had, by most objective measures, the most successful rookie season, the only one that went to the playoffs, had the highest number of passing yards and passing touchdowns, led them in terms of completion percentage. And I, I don't know how big of a gap there is between Mac Jones and some of the guys that were ahead of him in terms of quarterback rankings. But I do know that he landed in the best spot out of those five, right? He was the one that was put in a spot that was able to help him along the way more than anybody else. And as we look at how these quarterbacks are going to stack up, that's important, but so too is where they land once they are eventually drafted, whether it's in the first round or not. It is such a vital part of the scouting process. Mel, I, I am being told that we have spotted Todd McShay, and Todd <laughs> is so excited that he wants to actually share a message with us. Oh. Let's take a listen. So some of you might be wondering, why is McShay calling into the First Draft Podcast and sending in a video when it's the First Draft Podcast with Yates, Kuyper, and McShay? Well, let me tell you why. Classic Kuyper. I can't believe you, Mel. First mock draft of the year, the Kuyper 1.0 mock draft. First time that we're going to be doing the First Draft Podcast live for everyone to see. And all of a sudden, Kuyper changes the date from Tuesday to Monday knowing that I'm going to be traveling today. Look, I've got my bag here, my suitcase. I'm ready to go. So it's supposed to be home tomorrow to be doing this at 2 o'clock, but apparently Kuiper changed the rules. He wants to do it at 1 o'clock, or 2 o'clock, I should say, Eastern time on Monday. So from now on, I'll be on this podcast. Today, all I can do is send in this video. But let's get down to business. First of all, we talked last week about the underclassmen. I said always, every year, Alabama has a couple underclassmen that surprise you that wind up coming back, even though they have first or second day grades. This year, same deal. Henry Toa Toa, the linebacker, who I think was probably going to be a second, third round pick, elects to return. So does Jordan Battle, which was an even bigger surprise considering how well he played. You know, Toa Toa can certainly improve, and he has the athletic ability to be a high draft pick. But I, I thought that Battle coming off of his, his season that he had this past year was going to wind up going in the NFL draft as a day two pick as well, the safety position, but he elects to return. So here I am with my playoff beard, 
not ready for the podcast, but would be ready tomorrow. I'll get you on, on Wednesday, Kuiper, when we have the Kuiper Mock Draft Sports Center special. That is just quintessential McShay right there, Mel. And you know he's out of, you know that he's like completely off the radar because he's got a little five o'clock shadow. I got a lot to say about this field, okay? First of all, he's not heading to the Bahamas, obviously. He's heading to ski country because he's got all that facial hair beard going. So he's <laughs> heading somewhere to snow and cold somewhere. I don't know where he is, but he's, he's bundled up. He's out on the slopes maybe. I don't know. Downhill slalom, whatever the heck he's doing. And then he's making excuses. Excuses are for losers. There's no excuses to not knowing the schedule of events. We all knew it was Monday. They're not just flying on whatever day. I don't want to hear about that. I don't want to hear Dak Prescott making excuses or for excuses at the end of the Cowboy game. No excuses. You made a mistake. You own up to it, Todd, Todd, Todd. So come on. Uh, but that's, that, that, this is classic McShay. Come on, Phil. We know this is classic McShay. We're here. We're ready to go Monday. He's up on the slopes. Okay? Come on. Have it, have it as, have it as uh, schmores or s'mores or whatever, what he's doing. Uh, whatever he's, what the heck he's doing. I don't know. He, he's having fun. Here we are working. Typical. I was going to say, someone's got to pay the bills, Mel. That's what you and I are here to do on the First yeah. Draft Podcast. And just a reminder, the show is going to be Monday every week, live, 2 p.m. Eastern time. Also, a second bonus edition on Thursdays. That'll be audio only. It'll be myself, Mel, and Todd to start the show. And then a variety of guests will be joining us. That includes Jordan Reed, our new NFL draft analyst here at ESPN mm-hmm. this upcoming Thursday. Mel, the one thing that we can count on year over year over year is not that we're going to have a generational quarterback prospect, not that we're going to have a first-round linebacker like Micah Parsons, who's as good rushing the passer as he is, pass-covering, great tight ends or running backs or even wide receivers. There's one thing we can count on, and that is you. And specifically, we can count on Mel Kuyper's hairline because all the way from 1984 to the year 2022, Mel, your hair remains the perfect prospect 38 years later. Well, I was 23 when that picture was taken, okay? 23. I'll be 62 in July. So a lot of years have gone by since that hair was going crazy back in the day when everybody said, you got to get a haircut, get a haircut, you know? And uh, I always refused, Field. I never listened to that advice. But uh, that was at 23. Now we're at almost 62. And things have kind of changed a little bit over the years, Field. Not McShay much, McShay contributed to this. McShay had a lot to do with all this going on and leaving me uh, since he took over years ago at ESPN as well. Mel, I got to tell you, maybe a little bit, but it hasn't changed all that much. It's a testament to you. You, uh, you have excellent You're too kind, Phil. We love seeing it every <laughs> single – there are certain things we can count on in life, one of them being Mel Kuyper's hair and, of course, your great, your great draft coverage. And, again, this is just the beginning. We've got a great ride ahead of us for the next three and a half months. By the way, here, so here's, the mock, here's the Mach 1.0. Can you see it? Look here's at that. Mach. I can see it by looking at my monitor. Nice there and close. Is. All right. Mach 1.0 <laughs> Wednesday. It'll be available on ESPN yep. Plus, the first of several. And we also will be having a show, 5 p.m. Eastern time, ESPN 2. Myself, Mel, of mm-hmm. course, and Todd, Todd, Todd. 5 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN2, a live mock draft reveal from Mel Kuyper with Todd's insights as well. Mel, great stuff here. We are officially off and running with a new season of the First Draft Podcast in a new format as well. Catch all of our video on demand and, of course, find the audio podcast wherever you get your podcast. Mel, happy Monday to you. Hopefully you get some vacation like Todd. We'll talk to you again sometime soon.